Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. But this is the title for tonight. Turn to your neighbor and say, how doubt can be defeated. How doubt can be defeated. With that being said, y'all can be seated. Y'all can be seated. Let's pray over tonight. Father, we thank you for gathering us, God. We thank you, Father, that we are here for no other reason but to grow closer to your Son. So have your way, Jesus. Come into this place. I I thank you for every heart being softened, for every mind being open. I thank you, God, that what starts tonight on the inside of us, it could be something that alters the course of our future, God. Let us be able to just commune with you tonight. Let us be able to just focus. Let us be able to step forward wholeheartedly knowing with the heart of expectation that we're going to receive something tonight. So, Father, have your way. Communicate what you want to communicate, God, and we just give you all the glory and the praise for it. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the opportunity just to spend time in your presence. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and everybody says amen, amen. Come on, give Jesus one more hand clap of praise tonight. So when I was growing up, I grew up in a very... um, competitive household, uh, always competing, we're always playing games. Um, my dad and I actually uh, played one-on-one basketball up to the age of, he was like 40. Uh, you know, we would always just like compete in everything, and then that went from competing in basketball, and then he got too old for basketball, so then we played ping pong, then he got too old for ping pong. Now we just play golf. That's about the only thing that my dad can do now. Um, but uh, one of probably the most competitive family members I had was my popo. Now, my popo, he, um, he didn't like to lose. He didn't like to lose. He, um, he always uh, never took it easy on me on any of the games he played. And one of the games that he taught me how to play uh, was dominoes. And I remember growing up, uh, every Monday, I would go over to my popo's house. I would bring a Chick-fil-A for lunch, and we would have lunch together, and then we'd play dominoes. It was kind of our tradition thing we would do every week. Um, but my popo was ruthless. He, he never gave me an inch. He never took it easy. Even when I was first learning the game, I think it took me 10 to 15 games before I actually won my first game. He, like, he never took it easy on me. And, and what my popo would do is that he would play uh, mind games on me. And I, I had to catch this because my, my popo would, you know, when it was my turn to, to make a move and I was, you know, calculating my decision of what to do, he'd always be like, Study long, study wrong. And he always say things like that. He would say, oh, he's like, oh, no, I want to do that, Caleb. I want to do that. Are you sure? And I'd, I would pick up a domino, be like, oh, are you sure about that one? I'm like, no, I'm not sure about that one. And, you know, I'll place it down. And, and he would always play mind games with me. And, I, you know, before I learned, I knew I had to tune him out. And, but what I realized, you know, what he was doing, he, he was trying to make me doubt my decision. Right? He was trying to make me uh, doubt and, uh, and the confidence of what I was doing. And that's really what doubt does to us. It, it makes us question our confidence in something. It makes us question the integrity of something. It, it makes us question if, if something is what it says it is. It creates a doubt in our lives. And that's what leads us to, to live insecure lives of, is if we are always doubting everything and we're not too sure to go there, we're not too sure to go there, we're not too sure to make this decision. We, we are just so much filled with doubt that we have no confidence in our everyday decisions. And, and so doubt is something I know we all deal with. It's something that leads to us. Ultimately, what doubt leads us to doing is being disobedient to God. It leads us to 
uh, questioning God's decision, questioning his character. The first sin that actually took place uh, in human history by Adam and Eve was all because of doubt. If you look at Genesis 3, verse 1, it says the, the serpent, who was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the, that the Lord God had made, it says one day he asked the woman, and this is what he asked, he said, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? See, what the first sin, the, the root of it was this doubt. It was doubting the, the character of God. It was doubting whether or not if God was who he said he was. And really, when we get to the root of it, when it comes to our faith and belief, that's what doubt does. It makes us question God. It makes us think, is God really knows what he's doing? Does God really have everything under control? It, it makes us question our faith when we try to overcome doubt. See, the main goal of the enemy is really for us to doubt the goodness of God, to, to doubt the authenticity, to doubt the power, to doubt the hope, the joy. That's the goal of the enemy is for us to doubt the character of God. You can see the enemy does come to kill, steal, and destroy, right? But how does he do that? By us doubting God and involuntarily being disobedient because of that doubt voluntarily saying, oh, God, I doubt your decisions. I doubt your, your path. I doubt that, this is, that what you're doing is correct, so I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to go in this uh, path. And see, so that's what doubt does. It, it creates this sense of insecurity when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our belief, when it comes to the direction that God has taken us. It, all the enemy wants us to do, the goal of the enemy is for us to doubt that God knows, and that God is, and that God will be. So the enemy, he, he tries to deceive us into doubt. And, but here's the thing is that we all know, but let me reiterate, is that the enemy is defeated. That the enemy really has no power over you. That the enemy can't make decisions for you. The enemy can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. But what the enemy does try to do is make us doubt the validity of, of Christ, to make us doubt the authenticity of God, to make us doubt his power. And by that doubt, we walk into this path of, of not having confidence in what God is calling us to do. I, I know we all have struggled at one point or another with doubt. We've all struggled because of something taking place in our life, because of something that ha happened in our life. We've, we've all struggled with doubt, saying, God, are you truly who you say you are? Are you truly all-knowing? Are you truly all-powerful? Are you truly all these things because I've seen and I've been disappointed, and now I doubt if you are who you say you are? If you're struggling with that thought tonight, can I, can I encourage you right now that that, that that thought doesn't come from God? That thought isn't something meant to, to build curiosity. It's something to, to really hurt our relationship with God. So we're going to be talking about how we can defeat doubt tonight and how we can make sure that we won't let anything that the enemy has planned or deceived us of to take fruit of, but instead for us to combat against the enemy, to combat against any thoughts of doubt and anything that we feel like might be taking us away from what God wants us to be and what path he wants us to be on. So tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the disciple Thomas, uh, who became famous not for being a disciple, but who became famous because of his doubts. I don't know about you, but I feel like that's kind of cheating my man Thomas 
because it's just in one area of his life, in one instance of failure he's known for in all history. But we'll be talking about um, doubting Thomas tonight. And we're going to go back to John chapter 20, verse 24. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 24, where it says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not. Everybody say not. He was not with the others when Jesus came. See, before Jesus revealed himself um, uh, to his disciples, the, the disciples, like I said in the opening, they were really out of sorts. They were confused. They were worried. They were really doubtful. If I can be honest, the disciples were really doubtful of Jesus in that moment because they spent all the past three years with Jesus, and Jesus has done all these things, and they watched him do miracles and, and make the blind eyes open. They watched all these things, but they were filled with doubt because not only did they watch Jesus do miracles, but they watched him die. They watched their Savior, their leader, their, their, their Lord die on the cross, and the one who they thought could never be defeated, they watched him die, and now they're filled with doubt. And now they're confused, and now they don't understand, even though that Jesus told them that on the third day he would, he would raise again, even though he said all these things, and even though Jesus is alive and well today, the disciples were doubtful of Jesus at that time. And so they were all... Uh, together, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers, but they were also disappointed. They were disappointed because none of them had seen Jesus since his death, and they're disappointed on rather or not if things were going to happen the way that Jesus said would, would happen. See, really, the root of all doubt is disappointment. The root of the, the doubt that you might have taken place in, in, in your life that you have right now, if you try to find the root of it, you will always find that disappointment is the root of doubt. That why we begin to doubt the, the goodness and the power of God is because we became disappointed with something in our lives. It's because something took place that didn't go according to how we thought it should go. And because of our disappointment, now we doubt the validity of God. Because we didn't get that raise we wanted, now we doubt that God can provide. Because we didn't meet that person or marry that person, whatever you want to say, because of that disappointment, now we doubt if God is really in control. And all the root of that is disappointment. That's the root of doubt. But what I want to encourage with you tonight is that just because you have maybe been disappointed, just because things haven't gone your way, it doesn't mean that we have to be discouraged by it. A lot of times we can deal with disappointment in our own ways, but we think that just because something didn't go according to plan or something that happened against us, that we, we, we think that leads to discouragement. Or like we try to talk to our coworker about Jesus, and then that conversation didn't go how we thought it, would, it should go. I don't know. Do you all remember the first time you tried to witness to somebody? You might have been a little too crazy, right? And you try to witness to somebody and didn't go how you thought it should go. And now you're disappointed and now you're discouraged. And you might even have doubt if you should even talk to somebody about Jesus again. But see, not every disappointment means that you have to be discouraged. Thomas Edison, right, the, the founder and the, the, the builder, the one who, who made the first light bulb, uh, after 10,000 times failing to build that light bulb, was asked by a reporter, you know, how does it feel? They asked Thomas Edison, how does it feel to fail 10,000 times? And what did he say, right? 
He said, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I found out 10,000 ways a light bulb should not be built, right? I succeeded 10,000 times. That's what he said. See, it's all how you look at it. It's all about how your perspective of it, because just this... Um, other day I was talking to a church member and they were disappointed because they were let go from their job and they were disappointed because it wasn't going how they thought it should go. And I said this, I said, man, that is disappointing. There will be disappointment in your life. I'll break it to you right now. Just because you follow after Jesus doesn't mean there will never be disappointment. There will be disappointment. There will be times that you're confused. There will be times where you're going to say, what's going on, God? And you have that kind of inclination of doubt kind of being sowed and the inclination of thinking, oh, God, are you really in control? But see, just because you're disappointed, this is what I encouraged him with. I said, just because you're disappointed doesn't mean you need to be discouraged. Just because it didn't go your way, just because it's not working out how you thought it should work, it doesn't mean that you need to be discouraged right now. I said, don't be discouraged. Actually, take courage. And trust God and know that he has something good for you on the way. And the testimony of it is this, is that two, three days later, I get a phone call. He says, I just got offered a better job, with a job I enjoy more. And now I'm glad that that disappointment happened because now I'm in a better position. So sometimes disappointment is no more than just God directing you in the right place at the right time. There'll be times in your life that it might feel like disappointment right now. You might be saying, I am disappointed right now. About five years from now, you might look back and say, that wasn't disappointment. That was direction. That wasn't something going wrong. That was actually something going right. That was God protecting me. That was God making sure that he was putting me on the path that I should be on. See, but all we have to make sure is that even when we're disappointed, doesn't mean we need to be discouraged. It doesn't mean we need to say our life is over. It doesn't mean that we need to say, God, you, you have left me behind. All it means is saying, God, I don't know why this has happened. I can't understand it. I, I can't put words on it. But I'm not going to let this disappointment turn into doubt. I'm not going to let this disappointment make me fearful of my future. Instead, God, I'm not going to, instead of me pushing you away and trying my own thing because of disappointment, instead I'm going to bring you closer and pray more and spend more time in your presence. And you will see God turn around the, that disappointment around for your good. See, that's what Thomas was dealing with he was dealing with doubt he was dealing with disappointment but this is what his first problem was is that he was dealing with all those things by himself all the other disciples it says they were together it, it says in scripture that they were uh yes they were all disappointed as well they were all wondering what the future held as well but at least they were together at, at least they had community but the only person who wasn't with the disciples was thomas See, Thomas, he was suffering alone. He, Thomas, he had doubt alone. Thomas, he, he was disappointed, and he was struggling with that alone. Point one for tonight is this. Don't deal with doubt alone. Don't deal with doubt alone. If you're in this house and you, you're doubting if God can come through or if you've been experiencing so much disappointment that so much doubt has built up, you don't know what to do or where to go, can I say, do not deal with that on your own. This is why church is so important. This is why having the right friends is so important. Because here's how, how people work. There's no such thing as, as somebody, uh, this kind of uh, being that doesn't affect you at all. Every person will either hurt you or help you when it comes to faith. There's no such thing as somebody coming into your life and then you not changing on the other side. No, every person has influence in your life, and they will either hurt you or help you. And so if you're surrounded by people who talk 
with discouragement, who don't believe that God can turn around all things, who, who tells you that when you're at your lowest, they say you deserve it or they say it's because of this and they bring that guilt and shame on you. You need to get up and get out of that friend group and get into a church community like this, surrounded by people that say, hey, get back up. I know you're disappointed, but just like I told that church member, don't be discouraged. God has something good for you on the other side. You have to have that friend group around you. It's so important. It's so important to have a group of people who you can trust disappointment with. It's so important to have a group of people who you can come to and say, I'm hurting right now. I'm not in the best place right now. Matter of fact, I'm struggling with doubt right now. And you need to be able to have that community and be able to have that support. Because if you don't, you're going to be like Thomas and you're just going to struggle on your own. Thomas was doubtful. Thomas was disappointed. But instead of being with the other disciples, he isolated himself. And he hurt his faith and it hurt his belief and it made him in a place where he wasn't able to overcome his doubt. As we continue in verse 25, Thomas, he walks in and everybody's talking about how they just saw Jesus and they told him in verse 25, they said, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe. Everybody say believe. He said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. It's a lot of preachers and teachers and theologians, we, we love to pick on Thomas. So much so that his nickname is Doubting Thomas. We say, don't be doubting Thomas, right? Thomas doubted. Thomas, look, it's shame on you, Thomas, right? We love to pick on Thomas, but we act like we would have done the same thing in his position. We act like that we would have been the perfect disciple that would have said, oh, you saw Jesus? Well, that's good enough for me. Then I believe. No, see, I, I believe that we shouldn't call Thomas doubting Thomas, right? I believe we should just call him honest Thomas because he was just keeping it real, right? He was just saying, look, that's great what you got going on over there. I'm happy for you. But he said, I need to see this for myself. And can I be honest with you? I relate to Thomas. I relate to saying, you know what? Um, that's great that you're having your experience with God. That's great that this is happening. But, but I need to experience God for myself. That, that's great what's going on. Uh, that's great what you're doing. But I need to step up and do it myself as well. I, I, need, to, I need to experience his presence myself. Because all the disciples, they were telling them about this experience. They were telling them, hey, we saw Jesus. He's alive. We saw Jesus. We saw the wounds. He says, that's great, but I need to see it for myself. I love what you're saying. I'm glad that happened, but let me be honest. I need to see that for myself. See, they were trying to explain it to him, but Thomas said, no, I need to experience it. You see, some things can't be explained, but only experienced. I can't explain to you the presence of God. I can't tell you the depth. I can't tell you the power. I can't tell you the freedom that is in the presence of God. But once you experience the presence of God, I don't have to explain another word. I don't have to tell you another thing. Because once you experience it, nobody can tell you otherwise. I, I can't explain to you the love of God. I can't explain to you and wrap your mind around it, but once you experience the love of God and once you experience how that lifts that guilt and that shame off your shoulders, once you experience that, nobody can convince you otherwise. 
See, some things, they can't be explained, but some things have to be experienced. And that's what Thomas was saying. He's saying, I got to experience this for myself. I, I can't just rely on your experience or your explanation. I need to experience it for myself. And that's what I love about this church. And that's what I love about Jesus is that Jesus can stand that test. Jesus is the God who can stand that test of validity. Jesus is that God who can say, I am all-knowing. I am all-powerful. If you just give me the chance and the space and the opportunity, I'm telling you right now, Jesus will show up and show out in your life. Jesus will bring experience that cannot be denied. See, what Thomas was saying, he was being honest because I don't want to build my belief on somebody else's experience. I don't want to build my belief on somebody else's prayer life. I don't want to build my belief on somebody else's devotion. Right? I want to build my belief on something that I've done myself, on the experience that I've had. I want to build my belief. I don't want a secondhand belief. I don't want a belief that says, oh, I believe in God because my parents believe in God. I don't want a belief that says, I believe in God because my grandma used to always pray. No, I want a belief that says, I believe in God because I've seen some things that he's done in my life. I've seen miracles happen in my life. I've seen healings happen in my life. I've seen breakthroughs. I've experienced salvation. I want that type of, of belief. And that's what Thomas was doing. He was just being honest. He's saying, look, that's great that you've had your experience. And I know you're trying to explain it to me. But I got to experience it for myself. See, that's really how you defeat doubt. Is see, sometimes you can you can debate somebody, you can debate an explanation, but you can't debate an experience. You might be able to debate a sermonized message, but you can't debate a supernatural miracle. You can't debate when you see it right for yourself. You, you, there's no room for doubt when you know and you've been in a place in your life where you say, I, I've been at the lowest of the lows. I've, I've been broken. I've been hurt. I've been into a place, but I've seen God heal and I've seen God restore. You can't debate with that. Nobody can take that from you. Nobody can steal that from you. Nobody can talk you out of it because once you've had something so real, man's words can never be the same. There's something that the world can never do to replace what you felt that was so real. But that is what Thomas was saying. He said, I have to experience it for myself. And that's, that's how you defeat doubt is that you say, God, I, I need to have that experience for myself with you. I, I, I need to have that time with myself for you. That's how you defeat doubt. You don't just, you don't just pretend that doubt doesn't exist or you don't just pretend it away and say, you know, I'm going to act like I don't question anything. See, if you do that, you're letting that doubt fester and you're letting that doubt sit. But if you, if you combat against doubt, that's how we defeat it. This is point two for tonight. Is don't just pretend doubt away. We've got to prove doubt away. Don't just pretend doubt away. This is what I want you all to catch. We've got to prove doubt away. What do I mean by that? When the enemy tries to fill your mind with nonsense, you've got to take him back to the start. You got to take him back, say, okay, I know you're trying to say I don't have a purpose and a plan on my life, but I have experienced a love with Jesus Christ that I know what I am in his eyes. So you can't say anything, enemy, with this doubt because I proved you wrong already. Sometimes you have to take him back to the start because, see, we've all been to places where we can say if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here. We've all had experience that says, if it wasn't for God, I, I, I would be either in a hospital, I would be in the prison, or worse. See, if it wasn't for God, you say, bringing me out of this, I wouldn't be here. So we can't just pretend it away. We have to prove it away. 
We have to say, no, no, see, I have proof in my life with the love of Jesus, with the calling that he has on my life, that it doesn't matter what the enemy tries to say. I've been to the place. I, I, I've been personally myself on the hospital bed when the doctor said that the odds are stacked against me. I, I've been in a place where I've been depressed and, and I felt lost, but Jesus helped me out of this. I've been to those places. And God has brought me out of those places, and God has healed and restored. And now I can say that when the enemy tries to make me doubtful about the future, about who God is, I can say, no, you're too late. God has already proved who he is in my life. So we can't just pretend it away. We have to prove it away. We have to know that God has done so many things on the inside of us and for us that there's nothing that the enemy can do to overcome that. In verse 26 it says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them, and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them, saying, peace be with you. Eight days later. Eight days passed by when Thomas was struggling with his doubt. Eight days passed by when Thomas was still waiting for God to prove himself. And see, I've even been thinking to myself or writing this scripture, you know, oh, Jesus, why did you wait eight days? And wasn't like, you know, there was, scripture has this a, a gap. It doesn't say what he was doing for eight days. And, and, but eight days, Thomas was waiting. Eight days of confusion and questioning and doubt. But after that season, eight, eight days after waiting, this is what I want to encourage somebody with is it doesn't matter how long you've been waiting. It doesn't matter how long you say, you say well, you might be saying, I've been struggling for doubt for a while. I've been, I've been struggling with doubt for my healing for a while. I've been struggling with doubt with my breakthrough for a while. I've been struggling with doubt because of my business for a while. But can I say this? Don't stop waiting on God. We just, we just finished making patience popular again. We, we know just as much as anybody now. That sometimes God's timing does take, come at a, t a cost of trust and knowing that God's going to come through no matter what. But it will encourage you that it doesn't matter how long we've been waiting. God's timing is perfect. It doesn't matter how long we've been waiting, how long we've been struggling, how long we've been coming against. God's timing will always line us exactly where he wants us. In verse 27 it says, then he said to Thomas, he appears to everybody, he appears to Thomas and the first thing he does is look straight at Thomas, and he says, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. He said, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Everybody say believe. believe. He said, believe. And Thomas ex exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Jesus suddenly appears to Thomas, and he doesn't automatically go and rebuke him. He doesn't just automatically and say, doubting Thomas. See, Jesus didn't call Thomas doubting Thomas. We did. He didn't call him for what his failure was. He didn't call him for what he thought he was doing wrong. He, he appears in front of everybody, and he looks at Thomas, and he says, look, just, just believe. And what he tells him is that Jesus tells Thomas exactly what Thomas said he needed to see. Exactly what Thomas said he needed to see. When Thomas didn't even know Jesus was listening. Exactly what Thomas needed to see for him to believe. 
So a lot of times in our doubt, we think that God doesn't hear us, that God doesn't see us. A lot of times when we're struggling with disbelief, we think that God doesn't understand or, or God doesn't see or God doesn't hear. But can I say, even when we don't hear God, God hears us. Thomas didn't know that Jesus was listening, but Jesus was listening. Thomas didn't know that Jesus knew exactly what he needed to see, to believe, but Jesus knew. Jesus heard. Jesus was there. Don't ever be confused by this. Jesus knows exactly where you are at. You might be in the house with Thomas and be saying, God, for me to believe, I, I need to see this breakthrough. I need to see this healing. I need to see that. And I'm struggling with this. But see, Jesus, he will come in and there will be times. See, there won't be times when we'll never have God figured out. His ways are above our ways. But there will be times when God shows up and goes beyond everything you ever thought and imagined it was possible. Thomas is waiting in that room for eight days. He's confused, and then suddenly Jesus appears to him. He doesn't talk to nobody else. He looks exactly at Thomas, and, and instead of scolding, I'm sure Thomas is like, okay, I'm about to get a, you know, rebuke right now. I'm about to get a slap on the wrist. I'm about to, you know, Jesus is about to, you know, shame me in front of everybody, but that's the type of God we serve. He didn't come with a heart of rebuke. He didn't come with a heart of saying, how dare you doubt me? He didn't say, how dare you have this belief? He said, Look at me and told him exactly what Thomas said he needed to hear, what Thomas said he needed to do. And he watched that take place. And Thomas re replied, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. See, there's times where we think that if, if we doubted God or if we have ever had disbelief that God would be ashamed of us or that God would rebuke us or we think that just because we have doubted somehow has changes, stains, or changed the way how God sees us. But this is point three for tonight. Is that doubt doesn't alter how God sees us. Doubt alters how we see God. Doubt does not alter how God sees us. Doubt alters how we see God. See, just because you doubted God, it doesn't mean you changed God. It doesn't make God any less powerful. It doesn't make God any less real. It doesn't make God any less omniscient and omnipotent, none of that. This because you doubt God, you didn't change him at all. But we, what we did do is we changed how we saw him. We changed how we perceived him. We changed how, how we viewed his character. And that's what doubt does to us. But just because we doubted God doesn't mean that we have changed God. It doesn't mean we have altered things. It doesn't mean that now things are too late. It doesn't mean that if you have ever struggled with doubt in your life, it doesn't mean now you're excluded God didn't demote Thomas because of, this, of his disbelief. He didn't say, you're no longer a disciple. You're now, you know, you're a sideliner now. He didn't say any of those things. He saw Thomas, and he loved on Thomas. If you're struggling with doubt tonight, this one I want you to hear. God still loves you. God is still proud of you. God is not ashamed of you. Don't think if you're saying, well, okay, you don't understand. I, I have so much disbelief. I've been struggling with doubts. I, I've been so confused. But God, see, that hasn't changed a thing about God sees you. God hasn't changed a thing of how he perceives you. He's not going to come into your life and say, okay, because of your doubt, you're no longer this. No, no. See, God sees you and he loves you exactly where you're at. Exactly where you're at. We can't let doubt keep us from what God has called us to be, who God has called us to be, and what God has called us to do. See, that all the enemy, the greatest plan and scheme of the enemy is this, is to take us out of the will of God. All he wants us to do is take us out of the will of God. You see, did you know that the enemy, he doesn't mind if you're successful? He doesn't mind that at all. As long as you're successful, 
in the world, as long as you're successful outside of his will. Matter of fact, if, you, if the enemy, if he sees that you're doing your own thing and you might be su successful in the world's eyes, he's not even going to mess with you. He already knows where that role leads to. But once he sees you be successful in God's will, once he sees you begin to walk where God has called you to walk, and he begins to see, that's when the enemy tries to pull you out because he knows what happens when God's people walks in God's will. He knows what happens when God's people put aside things from the, from the right and to the left and walks down that path. He knows what happens. He knows that that's how the kingdom grows. That's how lives are changed. And that's how we build up heaven. And that's how we unload hell and take them out and bring souls with us. It's by us walking the path that God wants us to walk. But we can't let doubt come against us or overcome us. Will you stand with me tonight? I'm closing. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying tonight? Are you receiving what I'm saying tonight? Thank you. I want to close with this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Now, this is Paul explaining communion, explaining the power of it. You see, the disciples have this seen the resurrection of Jesus. And Thomas has, we've been reading, he's seeing now he believes you see just because of one experience it, doubt always comes for us doubt is always there's always it doesn't matter how much time you've spent praying or how much time you spent reading the bible the enemy's always going to try and make us doubt but i want to show you how we can defeat it first corinthians chapter 11 verse 24 Paul's explaining communion. He says, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is Jesus talking. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. Everybody say remembrance. He says, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. So an agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing. Everybody say announcing. Announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. The power of communion. So we don't, it's not a tradition. It's not our religion. It's our relationship. But the power of communion is that every time we take it, every time we take it together, we are reminding ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross. We're remembering what he did. We're remembering that his body went through, the beating he went through, so, uh, so that way we could be healed and made whole. We, we, we are reminded about the spilling of his blood and how it washes away our sins and makes us white as snow. When we take communion, we are reminding ourselves of that. But it says in Scripture, and that's when we take it, we are announcing to the world the death of our Lord and what's so powerful about that is that we know that Jesus didn't stay dead we know that he is alive and that he is well we know that he defeated death hell and the grave we know that not only did Jesus die but he arise and see this is what changes everything because people have died before there's been times and there's been times where people have announced themselves as the second coming but only Jesus resurrected. 
and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And only Jesus gives us the hope and glory. And only Jesus is the one who offers us the salvation with the Father. Only Jesus offers us that. And so what we are doing when we take communion, we are announcing to the world, we're announcing to our doubt, we're announcing to our disbelief that our God is not dead. We're announcing to whatever the enemy's trying to convince us of, of fears or insecurities. We're announcing to every spirit, we're announcing to every weapon that may be formed against us, we're announcing that our God is not dead. We're announcing that Jesus sits on the throne. We're announcing the resurrection. We're about to take communion together tonight. And as the ushers, they begin to help me out. But this is the closing thought for tonight. Is that doubt is defeated when we are reminded of the resurrection of Jesus. How can we defeat doubt? Doubt is defeated when we are reminded of the resurrection. Whatever you're struggling with tonight, whatever kind of doubts you're struggling with, the victory that Jesus has given us overcomes any kind of doubt that we may have of the future. When we take communion together, when we take what we're saying, reminding ourselves that Jesus went to the cross for you and I. We're reminding ourselves that his body went through the beating, it went through the whipping, it went through the breaking so that way we could be put back together. We're reminded of, the, of his blood that was spilled so that way we could have salvation. We're reminding ourselves. And we're announcing to everybody else, every spirit, every doubt, every fear, that our God's not dead. And if our God's not dead, then our doubt can't overcome us. If our God's not dead, there's nothing that can stop us. As the ushers begin to hand out communion, we're going to worship together tonight. But as we take communion, remind yourself of what Jesus did on the cross. Remind yourself that what he did for us, it, it broke the curse of sin, the curse of death. That what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago remains as relevant today as it was then and always will be. And when you remind yourself that Jesus is Lord, that he's not dead, he was resurrected, when you remind yourself of that, I tell you right now, a supernatural belief will take place in your heart and in your soul. And it won't matter what kind of doubt the enemy's trying to convince you of. It don't matter what kind of fear the enemy's trying to convince you of. You're going to say, look, here, I'm announcing to you, devil. I'm announcing to you, fear. I'm announcing to everybody that my God's not dead. He is surely alive and that death has been defeated. That fear has no hold on me. And that when we take it, communion together. We're announcing to everybody that the same resurrection power that rose Christ from the dead is on the inside of us. So let's take communion together tonight. We might go five minutes, ten minutes. I don't know how long it's take, but let's take communion together and let's worship God. And let's begin to give Him praise for who He is and what He's done for us. Begin to thank Him for uh, dying on the cross for us. And if you're in this place, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, Right now, say yes to him as you're taking communion. Begin to profess him, Lord, over your life and begin to accept him into your heart. But together, church family, if you're struggling with doubt, you want to know how you defeat it, remind your doubt that your God's not dead. Remind your doubt that your God is all-powerful, that he rose from the grave, that there's nothing that can stop that, there's nothing that can overcome that, there's nothing that can deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.